This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Plato. A bit later in the hour, we'll be talking rats. Yes, how did we come to live with them, and is there anything we can do about them? What do you think? We'll be taking your calls. We want to hear from you. 844-724-8255, 844-SCI-TALK, or you can tweet us at SciFry. But first... Today, the World Health Organization announced that it was declaring an end to the global health emergency status associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. Although the virus is still a threat, an advisory committee to the WHO meeting this week advised that, quote, it's time to transition to long-term management of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the WHO Director General agreed, saying that COVID-19 is now an established and ongoing health issue, which no longer constitutes a public health emergency of international concern. We'll be talking about what that means here and abroad more next week when Dr. Anthony Fauci joins us. We'll see what he has to say about this. In other news this week, astronomers reported in the journal Nature that they had spotted a planet approximately the size of Jupiter, that's pretty big, maybe somewhat a little bit smaller, being swallowed up by a star. Joining me to talk about that cosmic cosmic snack and other short subjects in science is Timothy Revel, Deputy U.S. Editor at New Scientist. He's here in our New York studios. Welcome back, Tim. It's finally getting good to see you, right? Yeah, it's great to meet you in person. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Okay, let's talk about this. Give us the details on what what, what happened here. Yeah, so this uh, star snack, as you described it, this started off as a strange burst of light coming from the sky that was observed by a telescope in California. And over the course of about 10 days, they watched this strange burst of light, and it became about 100 times brighter. And the astronomers there were trying to work out what, what was actually happening. And so it looked very similar to this thing called a luminous red nova, which mm. is a sort of stellar explosion that happens that when two stars merge together. But it wasn't quite bright enough, and it wasn't quite energetic enough. And so they ran some calculations, they took some more observations, and they worked out that what was happening was a planet spiralling in towards a dying star that then ingested the planet into its core and the star sort of briefly bulged up whilst this happened becoming brighter than than before and that's what happened Ah, and so that's the the end of the life of this star basically yeah so it's during a process that's the end of the life of the star so the star is sort of expanding as it goes from consuming uh hydrogen to helium and in that process it sort of sucked the planet in Wow, this could happen to us someday, right? Yeah, five billion years' time, set your calendar. (laughs) But it's expected that almost the same thing will happen. Our star will expand, it will munch the nearby planets. And so this is the first time we've actually seen this happen in real time. And so the hope is that now we know what it looks like, we can see it again and study it better and work out potentially what the future of our solar system is. Cool. I hope I have my college debt paid off. (laughs) Let's move on to some hopeful news. Uh, There's positive news this week about a potential drug for Alzheimer's. This really is really hopeful, isn't it? Yeah. So this drug, it's called Denanumab, and it's developed by a U.S. pharmaceutical company called Lilly. And it's an antibody treatment. The way it works, it sort of clears some of the sticky plaque in the brain of Alzheimer's patients called beta amyloid. And in a trial involving about 1,200 people with early Alzheimer's disease, it reduced cognitive decline by about 35% compared to a placebo. Wow. That's pretty good, is it? Yeah, so that is that is pretty good. Um, and that was, uh, they measured the cognitive skills before and after a sort of 18-month treatment period. 
But there is some uh, differing views as to whether, though this is a good effect, whether it's enough of an effect to it, for it to outweigh the risks. Hmm. What kind of risks are we talking about? Yeah, so about a third of the people in the test group, they had some form of brain swelling or um, brain bleeding from the treatment, and at least two, possibly three people died as a result. Now, we have had other Alzheimer potential drugs in mm. the past that have not panned out, right? Yeah, so th there's been a long attempt to... Um, in research to focus on these beta amyloid plaques and most of that drug development hasn't really panned out but recently we've seen a bit of a shifting of the needle so you might remember that back in November there was another antibody treatment yeah, yeah, yeah. that had similar sorts of effects um, both side effects and the positive effects and then there's also a third drug that has already actually been approved by the FDA or uh, whilst these other two are still going through the process but that one has only been proved proven to remove the plaques but mm. not actually to have the impacts on symptoms so wow. this is a promising line wow, of research yeah. but it's still uh, quite a lot to do well we will take anything we can get at this at this point yeah. let's stay on medicine for a moment because this week the fda approved a vaccine for rsv for people over 60 like me yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, tell me about that. Yeah. OK. So R RSV, this is this like pretty common respiratory virus um, and it causes mild cold like symptoms mostly. But it can be life threatening for older people and for very young children. And so the new vaccine, it's designed to be a single shot given to people who are 60 and over. Mm -hmm. And in a study of about 25,000 people in that age group, the vaccine was about 94% effective at preventing severe disease, which is really, really good. And so could be available as soon as this fall. Mm -hmm. But as you, as you say, uh, the RSV uh, also impacts small children. Are we working on something for them? Yeah. So there's a couple of things in the work for uh, yeah, very young people. So one of them is a Pfizer vaccine that's given during pregnancy that is meant to confer protection to newborns. And then there's another one in the works that is specifically for infants. Um, and both of those are due for decisions on their effectiveness and safety later this year, around about August. Wow, that, that's another hopeful. Song. Yeah, really yeah. hopeful on that. I'm front. glad you're bringing us some hopeful news. Yeah, yeah. For <laughs> and then the next one is, is also not just hopeful, but but it's it's amazing. Scientists have made a map of every tree in Africa. That sounds like it would be impossible <laughs> to do that. Very good. Uh, yeah, this one is an amazing story. It really <laughs> blew my mind when I read it. Like, it was reported by my colleague Madeline Cuff at New Scientist, and. The way it worked is that researchers at the University of Copenhagen, they took some images from satellites um, from a US company called Planet, and then they fed them into an AI algorithm to pick out and map individual trees. And the trees, for them to count, they had to be big enough that they were clearly identifiable as a woody plant. That's how they describe them in the paper, and to cast a shadow. But I would say any self-respecting yeah. tree should be able to do that. And then this resulted in a map of every single tree fitting that criteria Is across it, the African this from continent. This sa from satellite images? From satellites, yeah, plucked out then by an AI. I guess it, you had to have a, sh a shadow so a satellite could see it. Maybe. Yeah, so, so that the AI can see them in the satellite images. And did they get a number of how many, exactly how many trees they found? Yeah, so it's in the region of about 25 billion. And 25 billion? Yeah, and what makes it particularly interesting is like the distribution of some of these trees that we didn't quite understand the picture of before. For example, they found that about 30% of trees in Africa aren't in forests. 
And that's compared to a, a significantly lower number in Europe where a similar right. study has been right. done. So it's like trees in uh, urban areas, farmlands and savannas. And that really helps sort of tell the picture of where trees are on that continent. Wow. Who, who would have thunk? Yeah. Uh, in archaeology news, I, I understand you have some, a story about identifying the wearer of an ancient pendant. Yeah. So this ancient pendant is a 25,000-year-old elk tooth pendant. And what's amazing about it is that researchers have managed to extract DNA from it. And this is something that has sort of long been hoped that people would be able to do for um, ancient artifacts like this, but has been very difficult. So artifacts that are made out of bones and teeth are porous. And so they can uh, sort of absorb things like sweat, blood and saliva, mm -hmm. liquids that contain DNA. Mm -hmm. But the difficulty has always been how do you get that DNA back out without destroying the DNA? Absolutely. So there's this new technique that uh, is a way of extracting it, which involves submerging the pendant or the item in a sodium phosphate solution. Then you gradually crank up the temperature and then the DNA leaches out into the solution, which you can then take out and analyze. You can't do this at home, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you can't do this at home. Um, but so in this instance, what yeah. they found was this pendant. Who does it belong to? Yeah. Well, they found out that it was a uh, a woman with North Eurasian ancestry, and that matches it being found in um, a cave in Russia. And so presumably she was either the wearer or the maker, or at the very least at some point she touched this pendant 25,000 years ago. So maybe some, she, some sweat or some oil from her skin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just holding it would probably oh. be enough to do. This. And where is the pendant? Can we see it? Is it on exhibit? It, is, will it be returned? Who knows? Well, yeah, who knows? I think at the moment it's just in a, in a big collection of, of artifacts from this cave in Russia. All right, let's move from our, from our ancestors to human relatives. A story about apes sharing food. Is that an unusual yeah, that's unusual. Out, outside of humans, most great apes, they don't share food a lot. Um, and so researchers were wondering, is there something they can do to sort of prompt this behavior in great apes? Right. And so they set up this uh, slightly unusual experiment with chimps and bonobos, where if a chimp pulled a piece of Velcro, depending on which piece of Velcro it pulled, it could either get some food for itself or for another ape as well. And the chimps and the bonobos, they always just get the food for themselves. They right. don't care about sharing it. Right. So the researchers then re-rigged the experiment so they could control whether the food was shared. And they found that when food was shared, not by the ape's initial uh, desires, that in the next round, the apes would be much more willing to share food with another wow. ape. Wow. And then the fun thing is they did this with some four-year-olds as well to see how, <laughs> how willing are four-year-olds to share food. And it turns out almost the same wow. amount of willing as chimps it. and bonobos. Well, lastly, uh, one mind-blowing, really, research bit about reconstructing a movie clip by decoding the brain signals of mice as they watch the clip. Yeah, Sounds th like sci-fi. Yeah, it's very sci-fi. I mean, the sort of videos of this are amazing. You can see mice watching a movie clip on a screen in black and white. And they fed brain activity whilst the mice were watching these clips into an AI. And then the AI had to predict, in, and from using another set of brain activity, which part of the clip the mice were watching and then sort of reconstruct that movie. They, so they could reconstruct just from the brainwaves? Yeah, so they can reconstruct sort of which frame in oh. the movie it was watching. Um, wow. Which pretty amazing. Sort of a companion to the Minority Report. Thank you. Thank you for that old movie. My pleasure. Thank you for taking time to be with us today. Thank you. Timothy Revel, Deputy U.S. Editor at New Scientist.